Welcome to episode number 68 of The Student Manager. It's your host, Fonger News, and we are on the fourth guest of the Fonger Four, Coach Dan O'Dell, girls basketball, girls basketball, girls volleyball coach. I'm just thinking of basketball <laughs> all the time. And we're here on the campus. We're in your classroom, Coach yeah. Do you like my classroom here? I do. You know why I like it? Not only is there, because we're, we're going to talk Penn State, but I see all your Southern Section CIF champions. And let uh -huh. me see if I see... I also see my daughter's name. Julia Fong, right over there. Get to have that for one more year? It is. She gets extended for one year because we never had like senior night posters this year. So the seniors from 2019 season all get an extra year. So that's kind of like the one extra year of eligibility. Yeah, they all do. Right. By the way, what, what's your take on that? Um, I think it sucks. Because they got a season. And I think it's really hurting all the current uh, student athletes. Right. So, like, I have kids right now, like Katie Day, for example, one of my modern-day yes. kids is on my club team. Like, that kid should – there's no reason she shouldn't be on a college team right now. But because every college is like, well, I have five seniors all returning, plus my incoming freshman class already, like, the roster sizes are full. So there's such limited roster spots for kids that were looking for schools late that it's just a complete debacle for those kids. Yeah, it's funny because I – I was just following, obviously, Julie goes to Wisconsin, but their senior libero and setter all announced they're coming back. Yeah. The fifth, fifth year, I thought, well, that's great for Wisconsin, but then it hurts <laughs> yeah. their current class. And then... I know they're coming in all of a sudden, oh, I thought I was going to start. Wait, there's a senior coming back that was supposed to graduate? Or these kids are all going to be grad transfers. So a lot of the kids, like Shannon Scully, for example, yes. she's in the portal right now to transfer, and she's wants to go start grad school somewhere and get it paid for, and that's what schools can do. And so now schools, I'm like, oh, I'll give my scholarship to Scully instead of adding a, a potential kid in high school right now. Right. But, you know, and we talk about sports a lot, especially mm -hmm. basketball, because we like basketball, and I think about basketball or football. Wouldn't you, do you think, like, high school recruiting eventually, not going to go away, but if I was a college coach, I'd go grab someone in the portal rather than a high school senior, wouldn't you? Every kid. Well, it's, yeah, <laughs> of course you would because at the end of the day, you're not committing four years to the kid. Right. If you take a, a high school kid right now, you're going to be stuck with them for four years. Not that stuck's a bad word, but like most these colleges love this grad kids because you what? only get a stud for one year and you only have to make a one-year commitment to them. You don't have to make a four-year. So in a way, it's, it's going to help. I think it's going to actually just help. The top schools are going to be even better because those top schools are going to be where the top transfers are going to go. Right. Um, and then I think it's going to hurt those mid-tier schools that were hoping some of their top kids would come back for a fifth year. And those mid-tier kids want to just go try to get like a national championship or something like that. And they're just going to go to the top schools. So. Or like the low mid-majors or something yeah. like Katie Day. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, speaking of your team or, and I don't know how involved you get, like, let's look at Mia, right? Mm -hmm. She committed to Long Beach State and their season got screwed and yeah. she's going to SC. But do players ever call you back when they're in college if they want to transfer or they're not and, and what and they're not happy? So what advice do you give them? Yeah, I mean the advice I tell them, a lot of them will call me back and they'll just kind of either say, Hey, um, can you ask this college? Can you reach out to see if they're looking for a setter or an outside? A kid like Mia doesn't need me to call a college for her because as soon as she goes in the portal the schools are gonna be all over that. Those colleges kind of call me about me are the ones that are basically just asking for, you know, character references. You know, what was she like as a player? Funny. You know, <laughs> a great dancer. 
Um, and just making sure that they're not missing anything that she wouldn't be a detriment. And obviously Mia would never would be, right. but, um, and those schools are more asking for that type. But every now and then a kid will transfer and they'll be like, hey, can you reach out to Penn State, see if they got a spot or something like that. Um, but nowadays, I mean, with the transfer portal, as soon as kids enter that for colleges, they just, every Division One college and NAIA and Division Two can see those kids and they know right away who they are and they have their stats, they can get video on them easily. So it's kind of easy. It's made the transferring process actually pretty seamless and easy. Do you think it's here to stay? I think so. Do you think it's hurting college sports? It's uh, a good question. I don't know. I think it's. I think this day and age, there's not the loyalty is not as important as it used to be. And I think kids back in the day were raised that you were born to be super loyal to your place and you gave your word and you had to hold to it for however long. And I think that's kind of, you're seeing that go away. Right. But that's not a college problem. That's a, that's a, I see that in high school level. I see that in club. I mean, in in a club, you play for a club team and then that club season's over and all of a sudden it's like every kid's a free agent in the next year and there's no loyalty to who you just played for or where you just played. And it's just, okay. I'm going to make a year-by-year decision now instead of four-year decisions right. and stuff like that. Well, that's like a great transition because I think the same thing, how we got brought up. Mm-hmm. And I always tell kids that listen to this podcast and parents, I said, once you make that decision, you got to stick with that. It's like yeah. a commitment. But you see it at the youth, like probably lives in Kayla's age, uh-huh. right? And then club sports and then high school. Dude, we see it all the time. It's wild. And it's, it's tough because... There are kids that are in really bad situations. Right. And you won't want to make a rule that would inhibit a kid that was, you know, stuck with a coach that just was always going to hate them no matter what they did or didn't like their personality or there's just a clash or something or the school or they're getting bullied or whatever it is. And you wouldn't want to get a force a kid to be stuck because they're in a bad situation. And so it's hard to kind of draw a line where, oh, well, this kid can do it, but this kid can't. This kid's athletically driven well this kid's just got a bad school situation and i don't have a solution for how you would be able to differentiate the two to kind of eliminate it um and you just kind of do the best you can and hope that your program or whatever is attractive that it's going to just generally attract top kids and i mean for modern day we don't go out and look for transfers typically our kids that are all they four year, yeah the four-year kid they come to us as freshmen the i mean you look at that national championship team Every single starter on that team was a four-year kid at modern day. There wasn't one kid that transferred on that that was a starter on the national championship team. So let's go back to that 2018 team because obviously eighth year. This year was kind of weird. Yes. You had five games. Five. With the first time I didn't go to 100% of your names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but 2018, out of that team, because we always talk about how you kind of fell into that class when they were – Freshman. Oh, God, that's such a good class. I mean, why don't you tell the audience and followers? And we're talking about the 2018 team that I'll let you share because that's still a great team that I always look at. You know, it was that senior class totally fell into them, and it was all unique in different situations. Like, I think a kid like Tina Pepic, she was always probably going to go to modern day. She was a Huntington Beach Catholic school kid. Um, she was at our youth camp when she was in middle school. I think modern day was just kind of – where she was going to go to high school. And I remember Brielle, as a setter, she was looking at us in Olu. Um, and I think they were really doing their homework for high schools for where she should go. 
but she was a Hedwig's kid, and we get a lot of Hedwig's kids. Right. Um, and then the, Birdie was a big one because obviously for many reasons, but she was living in the South Bay at the time. But luckily, you know, her dad was a modern day alum, so they wanted her to go to a Catholic school. And, you know, her older sister didn't have a great experience at Miracosta. So her moving down to Orange County to find modern day. And it just, it, it kind of worked out. You know, I didn't know who Birdie was until there's randomly all of a sudden I hear this kid, Natalie Birdie's coming to modern day. And I was like, who's that? I was like, oh, she's really tall. This, I'm sure she'll be good, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and then Mandalay, I just happened to be coaching Mandalay and Club at the time. And I didn't know her before in eighth grade, but I was coaching her. And then all of a sudden, you know, she saw the other kids that were going to go to Modern Day, and it was either Modern Day or she was going to go to, like, Mission Viejo High School or a public school that just had no volleyball program, basically. Right. So for her, she's just such a competitive kid. You know, she wanted to be surrounded by the best, and her parents wanted her to be pushed and are surrounded by the best as well. So those four kind of, um, you know, when they came in, I called them the Fab Four because you could kind of see that that group was going to be really special down the road. Especially because he had one in every position. Yeah, and that's what you always talk about in each class, right? Get a setter, yeah. get a middle blocker, and get a hitter. Yeah, and Oliveira, the McManley was the glue to that team, just the kid that could pass the old court if you needed to. And two. you look at that 2008, or I call it the class of 2019, Pepix at Santa Barbara. Yeah. Mandalay, Rennens at Nevada. Mm -hmm. And you have Brielle at Providence, mm -hmm. and then Birdie at Stanford. So, yeah. I mean, the. Those are big time schools. Yeah. And if your team always has 18 girls on the team, I just looked at it. It was funny because when Julie was a junior and then you had your senior class, you have your juniors like uh -huh. Meg and Mia and Lauren and, and Reagan. And, and, and Reagan. But you, there's almost like 13 girls going D1, yeah. playing some type of college on your team. Yeah. So that has a lot to say with yourself, your program uh, in modern day. And this whole podcast is about the college search and admission process. So people mm -hmm. that are listening, either saying, okay, what advice do I have for my kids? Because parents will listen. Or else kids that are listening say, what advice you know, does someone have for me? Either coming in as a student athlete, volleyball player, or either parents saying, you know, let's just get to college. Like, there, I mean, there's so many avenues. What, and, and you have little ones because you're going to be there because we always uh, talk about yeah. this. But if... What you've seen in your eight years here and the girls that have gone on to college and from your club team, what advice or recommendation do you have, A, for any type of student, and then we're going to have advice for the parents? So I think the advice for picking high schools and picking clubs are going to be totally different. So like you made that point of, you know, these modern day kids, I could go through these eight years and I could go on to any of those rosters and I could go and circle and there's usually... 12 to 13 kids that eventually play Division One volleyball on every single team. You know, that 2018 team, yeah, they had it too, but you could go to 2014 and you could circle the kids. You could go to, you know, this year's team and you could circle the kids. And I think those kids come to Modern Day and the experience they get at Modern Day is kind of similar to an experience they get in college because those kids are all stars on club teams. But when they get to Modern Day, they're not necessarily stars here and they're sitting on the bench and they're watching and they're observing. Sometimes there's kids older than them starting that over them. And sometimes there's younger kids starting over them. And that's not going to change whether they're going to be a Division One volleyball player. But it is going to teach them how to kind of prepare and compete against the best and get better. Because regardless of if they're the star in their club team and they're here and they're not starting, they're still improving because they're 
playing against really good talent right. every single day. And if they could go to their local public school or they could go to another school and they could go be stars at those schools, that's great. But I don't necessarily know if they're going to get better as a volleyball player to help prepare them for college, to help them get recruited um, by going to those schools. I think modern day kind of creates a culture that forces them to improve and learn kind of a role and learn how to, okay, I'm not a starter. How am I going to embrace this role and be the best I can at that? See, and, that, and that's a good characteristic to have. I mean, yeah. you're playing against the best. And your travel schedule is like a college program. Yeah. And There's not a probably a team that plays a harder schedule than us in the entire country just because of how much we travel. Um, so, yeah, that, and that's kind of, I think, what prepares us for postseason the most. Right. As we play the hardest regular season to prepare us for the postseason, and that's kind of why we have a lot of postseason success. So six consecutive CIF Southern Section Finals, not one being this year. Seven. Seven. Not one being. That was yeah. kind of bummer this year. Yeah. I would have loved to see that. I think this team, I think this group, everyone saw this was the year that Modern Day was finally vulnerable. You know, you finally graduated Mia and Meg, and they were gone, and obviously the birdie group was two years removed now. Right. And I thought everyone thought that this year was the year Modern Day was vulnerable. You know, Foothill, Aliso, there was going to be some good public schools that were finally ready to take down Modern Day. Um, but I think we were going to be really good this year. I think the team that we had plenty of talent, plenty of talent um, the team would have been really good. And it had been really fun to actually go through that season because we would have had some bumps. We would have had some hard times. Yeah. But I think we would have figured it out and by the end of the year had a really, really good team. So heading into next year, what's the what's the the future of modern day? I mean, there's some young, talented freshmen mm-hmm. in the class, and now, like, besides the team that I've seen the yeah. last four years, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it, just seeing the different because it is a ch- changing of the guards because you've seen oh the, my those gosh. two classes the last. You're, yeah, you're gonna have missed uh, two groups, <laughs> and like if you think about it, this year, in a way, since we didn't have a season. We never really had an established starting lineup. So there's going to be now you're going to see a lineup on the court where real, realistically there's one kid that's a returning starter at this point with Jordan. Yeah, that's it. And other than that, it's going to be you now have a free for all for starting spots where it's going to be a crazy competition between a lot of kids. Um, and that said, just like any other year, this roster next year is going to have 12 to 14 kids that will eventually play Division One volleyball. So is that why, I mean, a lot of people always ask me, and I go, I, I love what Dan does, but if you aren't on varsity by your junior year, I don't want to say, well, yeah, you're cut. You're out of the program because mm-hmm. you have your 18 girls. What's your philosophy on that? You know, I just, I hate stringing kids along, and I think if there's a better outlet for them, then they should find the better outlet. Well, um, if there's a kid that was a junior on JV, I just feel like they're just – putting in so much time to eventually be on varsity that like, if you put in three years, you should be uh, granted your fourth year. So to me, and the other thing was where I grew up, juniors weren't on JV. Like I grew up, your drop dead year was sophomore year. So if you didn't make it after that, you weren't making varsity. So that's kind of also just my upbringing or my high school and the local high schools where I did their juniors didn't go on JV back then. Um, so that's kind of my philosophy. And I just, yeah, kids shouldn't be putting in three years to a program and not get the fourth. So that's kind of why that sophomore year. And, you know, I've had a lot of kids that have gone and got cut 
their sophomore year and they volleyball was their life and they went on and they, you know, embraced other opportunities that became really good and found different passions. I think a lot of these kids just play volleyball from a young age and they've been playing it year round and they think that's what they need to do. And they end up finding out that, you know, maybe they should have been in choir the whole time. Maybe they should have been doing something else and they just, they get really good at those things. Right. Now you've been through different colleges. You were a All-American at Penn State, went to the Final Four, four years, lost in your senior year. Lost in the championship, championship game my senior year. So I love Penn State, the campus. We've talked oh, about that yeah. when we went to go visit. So if someone's listening, because I was on that podcast, like I told you a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and they said, tell me your top campuses that stand out. And I wasn't biased, really. It's Georgia, Wisconsin, Washington, where two of my daughters go, but Penn State still pops up. Mm-hmm. It's still one of my favorite campuses. So like, much fun. It, 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 you were there for four years. What, tell my audience and followers, like, take away the volleyball part, the love uh, of Penn State. It's just like everybody's on the same page there. I don't know. It's like you're not going to go there and have someone like – not be super passionate about the school and not like love every aspect of the school. Every single student and any alumni you meet, if you ask them about, oh, how was your Penn State experience? I've never met one that didn't say, oh, I loved it so much. You know, it was so much fun. You know, the sports, the school, everything was just, it was awesome. And everyone just absolutely loves their experience because everybody's on the same page. The football games, I mean, football Saturdays in the fall were just like the greatest day of the year every Saturday. So, and there's only like five or six games and people like look at colleges because of football. And I say, you know, there's only like five or six Saturdays, but game day at University Park, I'm going to say night games are probably epic. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, those noon, those noon start games, you're like, it's tough to get going. And then the game happens and it's like four o'clock. You're like, oh man, what am I going to do the rest of the day now? Like, yeah, so, but the night games, oh, my goodness. And just the anticipation of them, you know, the tailgating. And the best part about the tailgating is everyone's so friendly there. It's not like, I mean, I won't rag on any local schools. No, you can say it because I go to the, the tailgates at UCLA and USC. They think they know how to tailgate. They've never been to an SEC tailgate. No, I'm sure. Those are Which great. I'm like, this tailgate sucks. There's like, I remember in college, there's a guy who has this huge grill out. And all he does is make food the entire day, and anyone walking by can eat. It doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. If you walk by and you're like, hey, can I get a cheeseburger? He's like, one cheeseburger coming right up. And he made you get a cheeseburger. Like, there's food all day for anyone who wants it. So, like, every time I'm tailgating, because I know right where that guy is, I just, you go I'm like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to go over to see this guy, and oh, I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger, hot dog real quick. All right, I'm going to go back to wherever I was before. You go over to this one. Oh, I don't know any guys. Hey, you want you want a beer? Sure. Why not? I don't know who you are, but let's be friends. And everyone's right. just, they're super friendly. You know, They're generous. They're kind. They're just really good people. And when you're surrounded by 100,000 of those people on game day, it's like, it's just a really good feeling, and it's just really fun and happy as long as you're winning. But so, as a student athlete, because I've had student athletes on my podcast, and we talk about it, and I've had non-student athletes, we talk about like the Greek life or the football games, getting hammered, faded, and messed up. Like as an athlete, were you still able to do that at Penn State, or was it more not at that level, but you still because your amazing fraternity was your own team? Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of how Penn State was. It's like the athletes all kind of hung out. The 
fraternity and sorority people hung out, and then you had your just normal students. Um, but there'd be obviously intermingling. You'd get to know people in different groups and whatnot. Um, but no, you had you had the college experience. You just had to understand when and where you could have it. Right. Like you weren't able to be like, oh, it's Friday night. I'm going to go out. It's like, oh, no, I have a game tomorrow. I can't go out tonight. And then you'd have to lay low that night. And so, but you know, you know, our coach would usually give Monday practices off. So Sunday night was a fun night for us, even if it wasn't as much for the rest of the campus. Right. You know, Sunday night was fun for us. And the beauty of Penn State was, you know, every single night there's always something going on. The camp, the school is so large that you can never not find something happening on any given night if you wanted to have something happen. Um, but as a, like as a student athlete, you just kind of had to make sure you had your responsibilities in line, whether it was academics, whether it was your sport. And obviously those always came first. And then you could fix your schedule around that and in your free time or whatever, you would be able to um, have time for the college experience as well. And your major was, was it IT? Uh, industrial engineering. Obviously you're, <laughs> okay, here's what I always tell people as they listen to this podcast, whatever you major in is probably not what you're going to do in your career unless it's like a doctor yeah. or an attorney, right? I mean, yeah. You after you graduated with industrial engineer, didn't you go like work in IT for a little bit? Yeah, so I think that was my issue is I wish I would have had a more of a, IE an industrial engineering job out of college and instead I went into a, an IT consulting position uh, for a couple of years with Accenture and we and I got placed on a project as part of like the project management team which I knew nothing about because I didn't ever studied anything that in college so I was learning the job on the fly and then when the kind of the economy went down in 2008 you know consultants yeah. weren't getting hired as much so I got let go and I didn't really have a great skill set because I kind of forgot everything I had learned from college at that point, and then I learned a little bit, but trying to find a project management job wasn't ideal because that wasn't necessarily my degree either. And so that's when I just kind of got back into volleyball. Did you miss volleyball to get back into yeah, it? Yeah, so that was, I missed volleyball. My friends were all still playing professionally. Um, and thankfully I was living in California at the time, so the national team was training out here and I could actually get back and start playing again. And I had reconstructed knee surgery right after college. So I wasn't actually able to play volleyball for a couple of years. Um, which was part of why I pursued immediately into, you know, a career versus trying to extend the playing career a little bit longer. Because you played out in Portugal overseas. Yeah, I played for one year, and it was one of the raddest experiences in my What's life. What's your favorite memory of playing in Portugal? Because I had never been to Portugal, right? I still travel. I want to go to Portugal. I mean, it was wild because my coach spoke very little English, but he loved to talk. So we'd go to practice, and he'd, like, yell at the team for 45 minutes in Portuguese. <laughs> And I would literally just be standing there like, no clue what's going on. Every now and then I'd, I'd hear like a servicio. I'm like, oh, I think he's talking about serving right now. And then like at the end, one of my teammates would be like, oh, he just said like, we need to do this better. And I was like, for 45 minutes, that's all we got out of this. Um, and then the other thing he did, we had, there was a team on the Azores Islands, which were right off Portugal. Yes. And so we were playing them, and they had always, I don't think our club had ever beaten them. And we beat them in five on the island, and our team was going crazy. And my coach, like, to celebrate, he used to just, like, yank on my hair. And it hurt like hell, dude. Like, just have someone just, like, he would grab me, he jumped on me, and just was, like, pulling my head like this. Um, and it hurt like hell, and I'm like, this is awful. So as soon as I got back to my uh, apartment, I immediately shaved my head. 
I was like, no, he can't pull my hair anymore. So, and plus, I didn't know where like the local barber was. I didn't know any of that. So I'm like, I'm just going to shave my head the rest of the time I'm here. So A, I don't have to worry about haircuts. And B, my coach can't pull my hair anymore. So after your experience at Penn State and you go to Portugal, that's a funny story. You, you are assistant coach at UCLA. Yeah. So that's like night and day from Penn State and UCLA. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very different. And I don't know, like, what your involvement, obviously, you weren't living on campus or practicing on campus, or you're practicing on campus, but you're not, like, a student no. on campus. And Maria, obviously, went to UCLA. I love going on that campus. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yes. That campus is so pretty. Right? Yeah. I just love when you're up on the hill over Drake Field, and you kind of look down on all the buildings. Yes. It's just, like, in every building matches, like, the brick and all that stuff. It's just... And every day is like a beautiful sunny day that it's just, it's really pretty. Uh, and the students are too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's so hard to get into. Yeah. Like, it, like now, like you think about like modern day, I don't know if you have any students. Well, we could talk about one, like huh? Zaria that was going to go to UCLA. But yeah. it's so hard. The, most people that listen to this podcast, and follow, they try to go to UCLA, USC, the big schools, but they can't get in. It's wild. So now, it was not like that when I was a student. I can tell you that. I feel like nowadays there's just so many kids that all try to go in, and it just how do you differentiate the four O kids and all that stuff? Right. It's just because they all have thirty threes, all have thirty fours, all unweighted four O. They uh -huh. all played some type of sport. Extracurriculars. They're in student government. They're this and that. I have no idea how those like when they're picking the students, how they differentiate them. I don't know. It's wild. Essays one, school yeah. of rigor. Because if you think of all the high schools, and I tell people this all the time, because you have just locally here, they're like, well, my kid, these are three, nine, and four O's, never gotten that B, right? Uh -huh. The 33, 34s are like, they didn't get into Vanderbilt, they didn't get into Duke, they didn't get into Michigan. Like, you know, they're one of yeah. 10,000 that are all the same. Yeah. So this is helpful for Olivia and Kayla and Connor because their yeah. essays can be huge unless. They get yours Unless and Allie's jeans. So sports. So, but that's why sports are huge, man. If you can utilize something different to help you get into a school, that's massive. And the biggest thing is it doesn't even have to be a scholarship. If you right. can be a walk-on kid, what's the difference between – I know some parents or some families are like, well, I want a scholarship, this and that. It's like, okay, well, let's say you're not going to get a scholarship. Then you're just going to be going to college regardless to pay for it. But – having a sport and the ability to create a walk-on spot is going to help you get into that school. Yes. Okay, so answer this question. And, and I know resources has a lot to do with it because we know some of the same parents. Yeah. And I'm like, why would you go, I'm going to rephrase it, would you rather go be a preferred walk-on and get your degree at, let's just say, this institution, or would you rather go play low mid-major, or whatever and get maybe partial money at the school but dude you're one injury away from not playing at all and where would you rather have your degree from? Well, yeah would you all right, let's put some schools would you rather walk on to UCLA and get a UCLA degree or would you rather get a scholarship to Portland State I'm going to UCLA like but what happens if a family can't afford it but that's you can that if you can't afford it there's financial aid so you can do financial aid I know like my brothers that went to Penn State that didn't get a scholarship, they're still paying off their student loans. I mean, I guess you don't want to pay off student loans your whole life, but technically the schools you can't afford, you usually qualify for more financial aid for. Yes. So if you're not able to afford going to college, then you should qualify for more money. I know even school like Stanford, 
if your family income is like less than 100000 or something, you go for free. So you have a lot of these schools that offer these great financial packages. And technically, if you can't afford them, you just you'll go with the financial aid route. You'll get the student loans at the end. Yes. And you'll pay it off. But the jobs you're going to get after college are going to be better. The opportunities are going to be better. And then you'll just know you just got to start paying off student loans after college. It is what it is. Well, like yourself, the alumni network at Penn State is huge. Huge. And I always tell people, like, look at the alumni network or look uh -huh. at your wife at USC. That's another phenomenal alumni yes. network. So that's why at the end of the day, if you're trying to get a degree and it's like, well, I got a full ride to Portland State, I can be <laughs> debt free or I can walk on to UCLA and I can, I'll have student loans I'll have to pay off. But the job opportunities and all that stuff could be way greater. Now, that's one example. Like, my issue when I coached at UCLA and one yeah. of the hard selling points was, they didn't have great majors. Like there was very few engineering majors. There wasn't a lot of business majors. Like it was great if you wanted to go to the medical fields, but then like you're trying to compete to get into that. There's no communication. So sometimes you also really have to look at, you know, what do you want to major in? And does right. the school have a good reputation for that? And will that help me get a job? Because a UCLA, for example, I always thought it was hard to recruit sometimes because these players had very specific things they wanted to major in. And you, we couldn't always comment to that at UCLA because I didn't necessarily think they had a broad enough range, or array of majors that you could actually study. So when you work with your club team or even any girls on our team here, if the parents or kids ask you, do you talk about that? Because like, yes. like, hello, what are you going to major in? Because that's a big thing. And I think a lot of, <laughs> especially girls in particular, they usually have lives planned out for them. Like girls in general are such planners. They're very organized. They're on top of things. You know, they know they want to be, hey, I want to be a nurse. You know, I want to go be an engineer. You know, I want to run a business one day. I want to be a doctor. And so it's like, okay, so these schools you're talking to, you know, do they have that? Or do they have that route for you? And sometimes they're like, no, I'd have to just take this, and then I'll have to go into grad school. Right. It's like, well, then maybe that's not a best fit school for you. I mean, if that's your only option, sure. But if there's another school that's going to have the major you want and what you want to do, if you want to be a doctor and you have to take – this route and it's not going to help you and then you have to do more schooling just to get into grad school like what's the purpose of that if you can knock out your undergrad and that helps get you into your grad school quicker too that's just such a better route for me yeah and i agree and i, and I just think it's if you know what you're doing right mm -hmm. and they know what they want but they're at the end of the day they're 17 and 18 years old too yeah but i think like for me i had no idea what i was going to do all i knew in high school i was really good at math so I was told, well, you're good at math. He's a math teacher. You should be an engineer. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll go do engineering at Penn State. Sure. But I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Right. But I think most players I talk to have a general idea of what they want to do, which is interesting because I certainly didn't. But I think I don't coach boys, and so maybe that's a little bit different. Um, but I feel like most players I'm, I'm talking to, they all – have it a changes. Good it changes in college. It does change in college, yes. Julie just switched her major from nursing to communications because well, nursing's hard. Yeah, nursing's she, really hard. She, she, she was struggling. Yeah. It's not like modern day. No. Well, okay, well, there's another perfect example because this obviously this manager is called the student manager. as our student manager at Long mm -hmm. Beach State, right? I mean, now we talk about it. We joke about it. It's like a coveted position at modern day, but it can lead to more things even in college. Yeah, I, well, that's what I keep asking it. One day, I'm going to get a manager that generally loves being the manager and wants to pursue it. Because I had 
You know, with Elena, I yeah. had her talking to the University of Washington coaches, and they wanted her to be a student manager there. And then she wasn't sure, and she kind of wasn't didn't know she wanted to do it, and it kind of fell through. She could but have had a Final Four ring. I have. Watch. I have these connections. So these kids, if they want to go pursue being a student manager in college as well, like that's a possibility, and it's a it's actually a pretty fun gig where you get yeah. to you're at practice every day with the girls. You get pretty close with the players. You get to travel with the team. You get free gear. You get priority registration with your classes. Like, there's a lot of perks to doing it. It might hinder your social life a little bit because you're going to practice every day. You have responsibilities. So, in a way, it's kind of like a job. Yes. But if it's something you enjoy doing and it gives you a circle of friends and it kind of creates structure for you, which a lot of kids thrive off structure, usually it's a pretty good idea. Uh, Well, maybe I still have hope because Julie watches the volleyball games and she's like, wow, they're pretty good here. Dude, yeah. Julia's not going to be the game. <laughs> she, Come on. Also go to the games. Yes. <laughs> she might go to a game or two. Right. No, she's having way too much fun. I think Julia's going to have a lot of fun, and she doesn't want that extra um, burden. burden to be. I tell this, it's a job. It is. Oh, just being a student, a D1 athlete is a job. Yes. The manager have it a little easier. They're not required to, like, strength train. and Right. But it's still a train, job. But it is a job. You have responsibilities. You need to be in certain places for a certain amount of hours every single day. And that's that's a job. You have to go do that. You can't come and go as you please. So what's, I mean, obviously you're a successful coach here. Mm-hmm. Colleges probably maybe call, don't call. Like, do you want to stay here? Or would you, if the right opportunity came, would you go coach in college? I don't know. I don't know what the right opportunity is. There's not an opportunity right now that I would legitimately just be like, all right, Mata, I'm out, and I want to go do that. I think down the road, if something came up and I, and I felt like I wanted to change, then maybe. But like, I know last spring I was talking to the USC coach about being an assistant coach there. I mean, that's I get to stay in Southern California. I don't have to move. My kids don't have to switch schools. And I get to go to a heck of a college and coach. Um, and kind of we were talking about it, and I, he could tell that I was one-footed, one-foot out the entire conversation. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't like, this is what I want to do. And that's because at the end of the day, I don't really want to leave modern day. I love what I do. I don't know why I would want to pursue something else. Money. When I love what I do. At yes. the end of the day, financially. Yeah, which college could maybe allow me to not coach club and focus on only coaching one worry about one thing and maybe have a little bit more family time um and i think that's the biggest thing is creating having a financial um comfort where i can still be around my family enough and that's kind of always the juggling act with me is coaching is i love it but i muscle it makes me gives me weird hours where i'm gone at nighttime more you got three little ones I mean, and it goes, I keep on telling you this all the time, it goes by really quick. Yeah, oh, they're getting big. <laughs> Connor's, Connor's almost as tall as you now, Farmer. Probably. He's probably going to be start. And your girls, don't you want to see, potentially, Kayla and Olivia playing here? Yeah. Right? Or do you, do you see yourself, and we just had this experience two years ago, I can't believe it's sorry, two years, but could you see yourself being the Ron Cordes of Assumption High School in, yeah. in a Kentucky, for like the, California? I think Ron's kind of the epitome of what I would want. Like, just stays there forever, has such a great reputation. His daughters are coaching for him now. Like, his kids played for him. He's 
maybe he'll only stay long enough to coach his grandkids and all that. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's kind of like, I see that and I, that's something I would love to have. And I think that's, he's kind of the icon for what, if you're a high school coach and you want to be the best and you want to establish this, you know, look at him and look what he's done and look how he's done it. And I think, and, yeah. And by the way, I say Dan and I know we're talking about, but for those that are listening, Ron Cordes coaches Assumption High School. They're kind of, they're a well-known Catholic high school power in the Midwest. And he had a 68 game winning streak until what happened to him? Until Moderdick flew into Kentucky and uh, beat him 15-13 in the fifth and ended that streak. Okay, let's be honest. Did you really think, did you just want to show up and be respectable? Did you think you were going to have, did you have a chance that Thursday night, the five game set? Yeah, I, I mean, we're playing with a really good team, and I knew they had lost a bunch of kids from the year before. They obviously had their two studs, um, but we're always going to be in any match. I don't, there's never been a match I've gone into and didn't think we had a chance to win. I don't know. I'm always optimistic and pessimistic with every single match. All right, being down 0-2, though, because I was sitting in the stands. I'm like, just get one freaking win. Down right. 0-2, were you thinking, shit? I, I don't know, because it was frustrating, because if you remember that first set, we were up like 24-19. Right. And we literally blew it completely and just got stuck. And then DeBear just went on. Fire. And so then it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> gosh, DeBear just got kill after kill after kill. Um, so it was like, we totally blew that set. I can't believe that happened. But yeah, I don't know. Volleyball's a wild thing. And it's not the first time we've won a match down 0-2. So um, yeah, anything's possible. And we just need to play a little bit better. And we did. And I think we did a good job at getting them to be frustrated, and then they got very predictable once they kind of started not winning. Right. Oh, as soon as we... Well, as soon as they we started getting leads and everything, it was like, okay, they're setting every single ball to Riley and Anna. Yeah. And we were just like, well, now we know where it's going. <laughs> you don't want to set anyone else, and then we just kind of ignored everybody else at that point and could focus on them. Do you know I still... Well, the parents you know that we hang out with, mm -hmm. we still talk about that road trip. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank yeah. God we went there. Way better than our Hawaii trips. Well, and so you were open-minded because you didn't want to go on that trip. I didn't. I was milking you and Chelsea the whole time. <laughs> I was never against the trip. I just was kind of like, I'm not making a decision until like after the season. I don't want to think about it. And I think you guys always took that as, oh, he just doesn't want to go at all. Um, but I also wanted to kind of just egg you and Chelsea on the whole time and make you guys... Work go, go through the work and put a PowerPoint together for me and all that. And we it was, did it. it and really now cute. Assumption's going to come here, I think, not fall of... I don't think they can do it this year. Fall of 22. I, I think they're going to try the next year, yeah. Correct. But then that has opened your mind saying, all right, now this program is going to great places such as Austin, Texas. Yeah, so we're going to do Texas this fall. Um, we're going to play in the Volleypalooza, which is like the biggest volleyball tournament in Texas. Um, 64 team tournament and I, I don't think they've ever had a California team in a Texas tournament in the history of their sport so well, that'll be a first that'll be the first so what keeps Coach Odell up at night besides your kids um, nothing I tend to sleep really soundly because I haven't been like in season in a long time I only like don't sleep when it's you know usually if I'm worried about a parent problem or if I'm worried about a match or we just lost and I'm thinking about a million different things that happened in that match. But when I'm not in season, I tend to sleep really well. And when he's <laughs> not sleeping, 
for those of you that don't know, I mean, he does more than just volleyball. You got to tell your audience, like, your favorite NFL football team is? Oh, the Buffalo Bills, baby. And we're good, finally. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> I just hope Josh Allen's like this for the next 20 years and we just roll through. I'm not asking for much. One Super Bowl, it will be good enough for me. So he That's loves it. he loves the Bills. And then it, it, it's crazy because Coach McKnight has a passion more than basketball. Uh-huh. And it might be the same as you. Besides volleyball, is your passion, is it baseball? Oh, yeah. It's, it, Dude, today's a happy opening day. Today's the first day of minor league season starts today. So if you're minor. tracking the minor league season this year because they delayed it, uh, we're getting going. Triple A, double A, high A, and low A all going today. So, see, Coach Odell loves baseball. Uh-huh. He loves having his fantasy teams. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. So, hopefully, I can keep winning those things. Building dynasties in the fantasy baseball world, just like the high school volleyball world. Well, he has over 300 wins in, in, <laughs> in his high school career. And it's funny because. And he had it set me straight because I'm like, that's almost as many wins as Coach Rollo, right? But you're oh, like, yeah, well, Rollo football only has like 10 or 11, 12 10 games. games. A season. He's been coaching for like yeah. 29 years, 30 years. But th- this ends the episodes for guests. We've had Coach Kiernan on, Coach McKnight, Rollo, and Coach Odell. O- Odell, like we saved the best for last. They probably don't want to hear that, but not at all this you add up all those wins at modern day that's like 20 over 2500 wins that's crazy yeah those three are unbelievable coaches i don't really think i'm in that same conversation but maybe if fonger's doing a podcast in 25 years then i with like julia's kids yeah (laughs) so wait as before we wrap up what's one thing you've learned from maybe all three of those coaches i just think they're all stand-up guys like they're just you have such a great respect for them that you know, their players want to win for them. They want to play for them. And I think the way they treat others and the way they're always, you know, kind to others and generous to others is just something that you have a lot of respect for and you see why they continue to have success. So just having that constant, you know, reminder of what to look for, just how to act, how to behave and how to, you know, represent modern day, you know, that's what they stand for. And that's what young coaches should be standing for too in order to build a great program so it's nice to have kind of role models and mentors like that on this campus you've heard coach dan odell episode 68 of the student manager and obviously he's been on a lot of my follower news and brief other episodes <laughs> but we, it's always good to talk to you and give the followers and listeners a different perspective i mean yeah. just more than you know coach dan odell <laughs> yes <laughs> definitely All right, there you have it. Until next episode, Farmer News, out. Thanks, Farmer.